because sometimes it's easy to think that I'm just trying to grow my company, you know, but to me, it's more than that. Like writing and publishing my work online saved my life. There's no question about it. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have someone that I really think you guys are going to enjoy. His name is Tim Stoddart. Now, his resume is very impressive. He owns over 15 companies. And just to mention a few, he's got a marketing agency doing over 150K per month. He has a membership site doing over 40K a month. He has an SEO agency doing over 80K per month. In addition to that, he has the biggest recovery website for people that were suffering from being addicted to drugs or alcohol called Sober Nation. And his story is very impressive. He's gone from someone that was literally almost losing his life to this bootstrapper who's been on to build this insane portfolio of companies. And this conversation is wide ranging. We talk about how essentially copywriting got him right and his habits for doing that and how he makes really good content and how it was able to build this huge audience that he has. From there, we get into how he's actually built service-based businesses that run on autopilot. He literally gives a playbook to create systems to have a company run where it doesn't need you. And then he gets into the details on how he's been able to start companies and acquire companies with either the right partnerships or the right setup with the, the deal structure. Um, and he even gives some really good advice for, on frameworks from reading books, like the Naval book um, to the book from Ray Dalio. This one is is really wide ranging and I hope you get a lot out of it. I I know I did. So we'll, we'll get to it and hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim. All right. Today on the podcast, I have someone I'm really fired up to chat with, Tim Stoddard. We met because we were on a Zoom call for trends a few weeks ago, and we started talking through email, and I quickly was stalking what he was doing. I was like, gosh, I got to get this guy on the podcast. But Tim, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, my friend. Happy to be here. Very much looking forward to it. I think you and I have a lot in common, so appreciate your time. Yeah, it's funny. Instead of us maybe like getting a coffee together or trying to have a normal conversation, we'll have our first meeting be recorded on a podcast, right? I guess yeah. that's what you do in today's day and age. But for people that know, don't know, could you just give an overview of all the kind of companies you either own or that you're working on? Be happy to. So first off, let me say before we were recording, and I get this a lot, people are like, wow, how do you manage all of this stuff? Like, I promise I'm really not as cool as I'm not that cool. Ultimately, everything that I've built is centered around two things. It's centered around writing. I've written a lot in my life. And especially over the last like 12 years as I've started writing online and blogging. And so it really adds up. And so I think when people Google me, you know, there's just so much stuff from me with all my different brands out there. It can appear as though it's this like giant media empire. And, you know, maybe I'm too humble at times. Like we've built a really cool company and I'm really proud of it, you know, and it's great that it's grown to what it has. But like the point I'm getting at is everything starts around my agency. I started writing online 
12 years ago, I, I was in like a turning point in my life, so to speak. And I had a mentor of mine give me a issue of Success Magazine. It was actually a subscription. And Success Magazine actually came with CDs, believe it or not. And this is 11 years ago, back when we used to listen to CDs. And there were interviews of entrepreneurs on the CDs. So I popped this one in. And there was this guy named Seth Godin, who was on the CD. I never heard of this guy before. And he had released a book called like Purple Cow, where he talked about don't be better, be different. You know, if there's cows everywhere, but one of them's purple, you're not going to think about which is the best cow. You're going to notice the purple one. And so the whole entire book is just around this idea of being different. And at the very end of the interview, you know, there was like the traditional end of the interview question, right? Where it's like, what advice would you give? And he said, start a blog and don't tell anybody about it and write in it every day. And I was just at a point in my life where I was like, I hate working. You know, I hate listening to people. I got no education, but I'm a good writer. And so that's what I did. I started a blog and I didn't tell anybody about it. And I wrote in it every day. And mind you, at the time, I guess I forgot to mention this. I was getting sober. I had a real issue with getting in trouble and just drugs, <laughs> basically, right? And so I started writing about my recovery and started writing just about what I was going through. I wasn't thinking too much about it. I was just writing my experience. And over the course of like six to nine months, all of a sudden people started reading my blog. And I'm thinking to myself, how's this happening? I didn't tell anybody about this. Remember, it was just a thing I was doing to myself. And that's when I discovered SEO. And that's when I discovered like the power of long form written content. And so, you know, fast forwarding, not necessarily fast forwarding, but like the sequence of events is that blog turned into a website called Sober Nation, which still till this day is really like one of the biggest recovery resources, I guess you could say in the world. And then through that, I got inundated in like this space of behavioral healthcare and and just providing resources for people that had some of the struggles that I did. And so I started a marketing agency around that space, around working with treatment centers or like mental health facilities or eating disorder facilities and providing content for them so that people that needed the help and were looking for help could find this information and then eventually call the facility, right? So I'm doing marketing services for them. And then, you know, that's how it all started. And we've done a bunch of other cool stuff from there. But if I were to explain the whole thing, it's, it sounds like it's all like the next idea. But really, if you were in it for the last 10 years, like it's actually been just one giant snowball a little bit. It's not as though we started doing all of these things. It's just that it kept growing into one thing and growing into another thing and like expanding and expanding. So I think that's like a better frame to look at it. But yeah, nonetheless, man, we got, I don't know, I think we own like probably 15 or so brands at this point. I own a bunch of them personally. And I'm really proud of it. It's going well. Dude, that's amazing. There's a lot to unpack there. But one thing that you called out that I want to get into like the writing aspect, but yeah, it's easy for me to go on your website. Like, wow, look at all these things that Tim owns that the rainmaker just doing deals all the time. But like people don't see the work and these small things add up. I'm rereading Atomic Habits by James Clear. That book, it's just so simple, but it's everything. And it kind of hits on what you say, like these little habits can have small to no progress day to day, but over the long haul can be transformative and really compound. One thing I want to get in, two things. 
how did you say discipline to write every single day? Because you could be writing and for X amount of time. And until you see that breakthrough and results, even if you weren't tracking that, it's what's the point of it? So any tips to people that are trying to get diligent and having these habits that they stick to? I, I was really lucky in that. So my life is very strange. My, my career, I should say, is very strange because I've created this strange space for myself, which is at a crossroad of like mental health and recovery and like business and entrepreneurship. And the reason why I've been able to build some of these habits and these patterns into my life is the lessons that I learned from recovery, right? And so if, you're, if you have an addiction problem, it's very easy to stay sober for one day, right? And then what happens is people think to themselves, how can I do this for the next 10 years? What do I do when my sister is getting married? Or like I'm Scottish, right? And so every Thanksgiving, we used to have a, a tradition where there's a, a, it's Scotch, it's called McCullum. And we would take a shot and say what we're grateful for. And then, oh my God, I can't do that anymore, right? And so you get in your head and you start projecting these like expectations and what do I do here? What do I do there? But the way to get through that, and it's, it's actually a little tattoo I have if anyone's watching this video, it's a clock and it says, make it to midnight. And so a guy that was basically helping me on my journey, he would remind me all the time, we're like, you don't need to think that far into the future. Like all you need to do is make it to midnight. That's all you gotta do. All you have to do at any given moment is just make it to midnight without picking up the drug or the drink, they say. And that philosophy just really poured over into all aspects of my life. And so people get screwed up because they think to themselves, this isn't going anywhere. This isn't happening. Nothing's taken off for me. But this sort of make it to midnight idea allowed me to not care that much about it because all I ever really am trying to do at any given time is the thing that's right in front of me. And that's it. You know, so this morning is a good example. Every single Friday, I write a long form where I publish my blog post on timstyles.com and I send out my newsletter. And my wife and I crack up because every Friday morning I have to wake up at four in the morning because I'm an idiot and I wait to the last minute to do this thing. And like I said, a 9 a.m. deadline for myself. And so we call it the Friday panic. But it doesn't matter because I don't actually have to think about anything. But when that's happening, there's nothing else going on in my head other than like, I'll solve all of my other problems after this article is finished, right? And like, after I send my newsletter. And then the Friday panic is over and I relax for the weekend and it starts over all again the next week. And so I, I think I don't want to get too Tony Robbins-y about it, right? But I think people actually overcomplicate this thing. And I think people overcomplicate this word discipline. Like I don't actually have to be disciplined because it's just a thing that I do. It's you don't have to be disciplined to brush your teeth every day, but everybody brushes their teeth every day. And so I don't have to be disciplined to go to the gym. People say that too. Well, how do you stay in such good shape? I was like, I don't I don't stay in shape. It's just a thing that I do. It's like eating breakfast. And so writing is just a thing that I do. And I don't think about it any harder than that. I just, I don't know. I just fucking do it. <laughs> I, I love it because, and I'm guilty of this too. Everyone's looking for that smart cut or that that secret sauce to, to pull it off. But I had something similar because I, like you, I get busy with stuff and I was like, man, I'm not writing. And I actually enjoy writing a lot of great things like, 
serendipity and luck can happen when you put yourself out there. And like, even this morning I woke up, not at 4am shout out to you. I woke up at 6am to write. Cause I was like, I have 44, five minutes before the kids get up. And then I go into dad mode and I'm like the dad Uber daycare driver. And so it's, if it's a priority, you just have to schedule it and make that time. But uh, the Friday panic, that should be like a t-shirt or something. That's pretty good. We've thought about it actually. You're making like a mug like a special mug that I only drink my coffee out of on Fridays. Yeah, it's uh, it's the Thursday writing session. And it's all Zen. It's like, oh yeah, it's going to be different this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it never is. It's always Friday morning. And I'm just like, oh, I'm waking up in a panic. Like I got to get this thing done. But you know what? On a serious note, also, I think there is a, a, an important distinction to make there. And that is that, okay, so if there is something that I struggled with in like building this quote discipline, like we talked about, it was being able to prioritize. And I read, I think it was in Principles, actually, by Ray Dalio, probably like six years ago. I still lived in Florida, so it was a little while ago. And I don't remember really anything from that book except the one line where he says, you can have anything that you want, but you can't have everything that you want. And so I remember going there like, oh, it, you know, you hear those things, but then for whatever reason, you're just ready to accept it. And so I, I do keep that in my head a lot. Anytime my brain starts going off about other shit that I want to do, it's, I can have anything that I want, but I can't have everything that I want. And so I, I do consciously make the decision to write because like, I am a writer and that's what I am going to do because I can't do it all. Yeah, I struggle with saying yes to everything. But when you do that, you're either going to half-ass things or you're not going to get that thing you, you really want. So no is I need to get that like tattooed on my forehead. So what? So you talked about the discipline, but you also, you don't just write content. It's not because you wrote so much that people liked it. You clearly wrote things that resonate with people and for lack of a better phrase, went viral or really resonated. What advice would you give to people when you're trying to write content that, you know, has that potential to have an impact and get seen? Yeah, you know, it's a good question because this is something that I've actually thought about a lot. I've thought about this more and more as I've been like recognized and people start having me on to give advice, you know, because now all of a sudden I, have, I know something that I didn't know before, which I don't necessarily think is true. I think I just have built a little bit more experience. And again, this is there's usually overlaps between like my personal story and my entrepreneurship. You seem to be asking these questions where it's like really hitting on the head every time. So I promise like I have other things to talk about other than my story and recovery. Right. But but th there's a, a principle, basically, that don't give advice, share experience. Let's say I'm trying to help somebody else. You know, let's say there's a kid who's younger than me and maybe he's 22 and he's really struggling with addiction and he's just, he needs help. He needs some guidance. Well, the last thing that person wants is advice. Who wants to listen to somebody else tell him what to do? And so you don't give advice. You share experience because you say, yeah, I know what that's like. This is what happened to me. And then from that standpoint, it solves two problems. It makes it more relatable, you know, because then people actually can connect with you emotionally, which I think my writing does. But the other thing it does is it makes it not a debate because what could you possibly argue? I'm not telling you what to do or what not to do. I'm just telling you what I do. And so you can take that if you want or not. Like, I really don't care. It's totally up to you what you do with that information. And so I think like approaching people from you know, a, a storytelling standpoint, which is always just 
good. I believe that storytelling is actually genetically wired into us, not just something from our brains, but like from a genetic predisposition. And so people always will gravitate to stories. But I think what makes, I think what has allowed my message to spread is that people don't feel they're being talked at. And it's just easy to allow a message of shared experience to, if it's easier to absorb that information because you're not retaining anything. Like you're just relating to somebody because you never, it's easy to forget what you learned. You never forget what you feel. So I I think if there's something that I've done well, it's just sharing experience that allows people to feel like they get what I'm saying. And I think that helps. That's really well said. I think of that from two lenses. One, as a parent wanting my kids to listen to me, don't tell them what to do, but try and be good at storytelling so you can trick them into doing what you want, but with your own stories. The second, are you a part of EO, Entrepreneurship Organization? I have no idea what that is. Oh, it's it's an entrepreneurship group with people that have businesses of a certain size, but they do this gestalt method of experience share over advice. And you literally just laid out the framework really? in a very articulate way. So good job. That's really well said the way you did it. I think that's what resonates with me the best. That's phenomenal advice. So when we were on the that call together, you said something that really got my attention where the idea of agency life gets a lot of hate. It's easy to hate on agencies. Like being at an agency is hard. It's putting out fires. It's having all these issues with clients. But I feel like the kind of like sneaky truth is if you do it the right way, it can be the complete opposite of that. And you are like, I'm bummed that agencies get this bad rap because it can actually be an amazing business. It can be like this launchpad business. But I want to approach it from two perspectives. One is like systems building with agencies, how to make it so you're not building this prison that is your company, but it's something that's magical. And then we'll get into the doors it opens. But can you talk through why like this like consulting service agency models actually amazing? What have you done differently that people don't understand? I agree that it is an amazing business. I don't, I think the only thing I've done differently, so actually, here's something that I do differently, which really is the credit to a lot of stuff, is I read a lot. I'm not very educated, quote, but like I am because my when I was little, there's only one rule that my parents ever really had. My parents had me when they were very young. They were like, super liberal people, not liberal in the sense of their beliefs necessarily, just liberal and allow me to be my own person. And so they never put any rules on me except for one. And that was that I had to read 30 minutes every day. It's the only thing I can ever remember like needing to do. And it really stuck with me. And so I've been blessed that I enjoy reading and that it's always just been a part of my life. And so when I come up with these frameworks or these ideas, I think that people get the wrong idea that I came up with this stuff myself. And there's nothing that I ever have implemented that was like an original idea. Maybe it was an idea that I got from somewhere and I made my own a little bit, sprinkled some originality on there, but I don't have any really great ideas. What I do have is just the willingness to actually implement stuff that I learn and not just 
read a book and then write some notes about it and post it on my blog and stack up this pile of notes that I have because I'm trying to get search traffic. Like I read books because I want to be a better person. And so The E-Myth by Robert Gerber was, from a business standpoint, the second most important book I ever read. And I just didn't mess around with it. It was like, this makes perfect sense. Let me stop doing everything that I'm doing and just implement this stuff. And it worked, you know, then all of a sudden I thought, wow, I have the space to work on my business now. And as you asked earlier, like how to, I can see how it would appear as though I'm like a robot, you know, and I'm working 80 hours a week, but I promise you, it's not like that. I work out every morning with my wife for at least an hour and a half. I do Muay Thai twice a week. No, no questions. I go for a walk with my wife and my kid. Every afternoon, I work hard, probably six hours a day. And if there's some shit that I really got to do, I'll keep working. It's not to say that I don't work hard or that I can't work an 80-hour week if we got some something really important. But I don't think that's actually like an effective way. Because if working 80 hours a week got you what you wanted, then my father who was a luggage handler at US Airways in South Philly for 23 years would be the richest person ever and wouldn't have had three herniated discs in his back. You know, So there's always a disconnect there. And so when I read the E-Myth, and it, there was just no arguing that people go into business because they have a skill and then they get screwed up because they think being good at a skill is actually what running a business is about. But building a business and being good at a skill are completely, two completely different things. And so at that point in my life, I was like three years in and it was clear. I was like, I am doing so much writing. I can't keep this up. I don't enjoy writing that much anymore. Let me step away. And then I did. And I just have binders full of these systems and documents and processes that make it so that, so we don't actually call our, we don't call it work. In my agency, like we understand it's our process that people are buying because anybody can do the work isn't actually that complicated. You know, like you can learn how to do it in a month or two if you really try. What people buy from us is a process so that they don't have to think about it because they, the business owners, the clients that we have, they have this thing, they have this problem and they want to take the problem out and put it somewhere else and never think about it again. And so that's all we really provide. It's not, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And so the systems make it so that it's very predictable, it's very reliable, and people know exactly what to expect. What's the most successful restaurant in the history of the world? It's McDonald's. I'm not saying that you should go to McDonald's. I haven't been to McDonald's in six years. I'm just saying there's a reason for that. And it's because people know that when they order a, a Coke from McDonald's, it's going to taste exactly the exact way in the exact same time. Same with the French fries and, and everything. And so what we've really done is streamlined effectiveness and predictability. And I think that's a real asset. And I think that's why we do so well. Yeah, there's a really good blog post on, on your blog that everyone needs to read. It's here's how I automated my entire agency with employees all over the world. And it gets really tactical on how to do this. And I it's something I've been working on. I'm not quite there yet. One of the issues is 
I think we can productize more of what we do. And I, we sell a little too much strategy. I was selling my soul a little too much and selling me. And so it's something we're working on, but it's a really good blog post that anyone listening to this, if you're at all running something and you want to get out of the day to day, it's awesome. But I love how tactical you were there. It's it's not exciting and sexy to make SOPs or documentation, but that can be the unlock that allows you to have your time back. So anyone that's like hitting roadblocks without anything tactical. What was like an inflection point where you really started to see this work? Oh my gosh, I actually am finally running the company and I'm not just my own boss. You know, I don't think there was necessarily a real jumping off point because as in most things in life, it it happens very gradually. But I can tell you when I knew that I was really onto something and that was that, well, I guess it was probably COVID because I started getting into Twitter during COVID. So you know what, now that I think about it, there there really was an inflection point. The inflection point was within two weeks, everybody that we competed against instantly died and we flourished because there was no break in our system. Like I get frustrated sometimes when people act like building businesses is so easy. And you write some Twitter threads, like how I got a gazillion followers overnight with this one simple hack, you know, and not even saying to judge anybody. I'm saying that it's very difficult to build something long lasting by following those principles. And if you really want to get rich, like if you actually want to make money, then you need time. And so these things are cool because they can make you feel good and maybe get you, you know, like a couple hundred followers on on Twitter or whatever. But it's actually not like a good method for long-term financial success. And so we got lucky in that I read the E-Myth probably seven years ago. And it was a good three years of like trial and error and trying to figure out how to create different departments and, you know, figuring out how the bottlenecks in agencies is, is transferring information from one department to another. You know, like that's, if everything was autonomous within departments, it would be easy. But like all of a sudden when a new web design has to be launched and then you have to get the information over to like the account management department, it's the transfer of information that creates the bottlenecks, you know? And so it took a, a couple of years to figure out like, how do we do this? Do we need software for this? Do we just need a process for this? Does this transfer of information from this department to this department look the same as it does from this department to this department? You know, so it wasn't like a white light moment where it just came to me. But we got lucky in that we had like a good three years to prepare for it when all of a sudden nobody was in our office anymore. But again, like we got lucky. I still had my office in Florida when when office work and office life disappeared. And there's only one person that went to the office because I had left, Brian left, like we just scattered all over the country. And so we weren't even working in the office anymore when COVID happened. And so then all of a sudden, three or four months into it, there's nobody to compete with anymore because they all just died because nobody had ever at that point been actually stress tested. And entrepreneurship was so easy. And everybody with a laptop and an iPhone and like a TikTok page could make a video about, you know, how to make a hundred grand a year by creating content. When all of a sudden, when it came to implementing those things, the boring stuff that nobody likes to make TikTok videos about, you couldn't do it anymore, you know? And so, so that was the inflection point. I know that's probably more of a long-winded story than you asked for, but it became really clear that 
the preparation we did and all the stuff that, you know, like it, it can be stressful to make that and frustrating. And I remember a couple of times we're like, why are we even doing this? We're fine. We're getting clients for doing this, but I got a good team and I got like a real hardworking group of people around me. And, and we've been doing this for years and years. And so we just, we pushed each other to the point where we knew internally that this is going to be worth it in the end. And then all of a sudden, when the real stress test happened and, you know, we're getting twisted or bent like a branch in the wind, like we didn't break and everybody else did. And then from that point, you know, it was like bubblegum shrimp when all the boats went down. Like we're just doing the same thing we were always doing, but now our shrimp and nets are full. So yeah, it paid off. No, that's awesome. It's yeah, it's not sexy, but investing in those systems and processes can be your unfair advantage, especially when like the tide comes in or whatever the phrase may be. So you like, and one thing you, I love your content because, as you said, you very much build in public to some extent. Like you're showing financials and what you're doing. Can you talk about you know you have like sober nation working, you have your agency working that's. Like going into some of the seven figures. Talk through this idea of this launchpad business model where you start to, it like snowballs and it opens doors to other companies to start or you've done an acquisition. But I'd love to hear like the story behind that as far as what's your thought process when the business goes well and then taking some of those profits and investing in those next things. Like what has been some of the biggest bets and when do you decide to do that or not to do that? There's two answers to that question. There was a real... So actually, I'll get to that one soon. I'll start at the beginning. My partner and I got sober together and he's basically my brother. He's complete opposite from me. Like I grew up... I grew up in like a blue collar family and he grew up with, you know, old money, Lower East Side Manhattan. I'm not even saying that to make fun of him. I'm saying it because he understood how money worked and he just understood the... I could never get, when I made money, I could never understand why anybody would spend it on anything. It was just like, I got to save this, right? I got to save this. And I'll never forget me, him, and my friend Butcher were leaving a gas station. We stopped for gas and, you know, we built a bunch of companies together. So he's just talking about what to do with it. And he, he said, I'd rather put that money to work. I was too embarrassed to say, what the hell does that even mean? But he just got that. And so over the years, he really taught me about this kind of stuff, like investing and compounding and just letting money do the work for you. And so a lot of it was his guidance of, you know, not just taking the profits and putting it in my bank account and saving it, but finding ways to reinvest it. And I really saw it, it come to work. Well, there's a combination of, I'm a, I can be pretty chatty and I'm a pretty good salesperson, you know? And so Sober Nation had a really good framework and we've really invented something there. And since it's on SEO, it's all SEO around like drug rehab and addiction treatment keywords. But we took the same exact method. We took the money that we were making, the little bit of money at the time, because most people don't believe that Cybernation's only been profitable for about a year and a half. But we took that and built Detox Local out of it, which is the same exact thing, except instead of addiction treatment, it was detoxes. And then we learned more about SEO and we took the money that both of them were making and we made Sober Nation all about the keyword drug rehab and Detox Local all about drug detox. And then we created another site called Your First Step, which was all about addiction treatment. 
So now all of a sudden we have three websites that are basically the same exact thing, but they're all going after slightly different variations of a keyword. And we've always just been really quiet and under the radar. And then finally somebody saw what we were doing. You know, this was about six years ago when like fentanyl deaths were really turning into a problem. And so there's medication coming out that was like saving lives. And it was something that like I believed in. And so we we took the same exact thing except under medication-assisted treatment, which is like Suboxone and, and Subutex. And basically it's medication that keeps people from withdrawing because when people die from heroin overdoses, usually what happens is they get clean for like six months and they're like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And then they go shoot up the same dose that like they were doing, you know? And like this medication can keep people from just doing that for a year to, to give them a chance, you know? And so it's something I really believe in. And I, I tell you all that because what happened is this person approached us and he said, I see what you guys are doing. I want to partner with you. And at first, Brian is, sure, we'll do it. We'll do everything. And on the moment, I remember being around this big fancy conference table in like my tank top, basically. And it's being like, okay, we'll partner with you, but you still have to pay us to build the site. Because I just, I had done enough deals that I felt pretty confident in like leverage and just knowing that there's nobody out here that knows how to do this except for us. And if we want to, we could just do this again. And like, I don't actually need you. And so I said, you pay for everything. You keep paying us what you would, like you're a client, and I'll give you a percentage of it. And just flipping the script. And it worked. And all of a sudden, we worked out with basically, we walked out of there with a new business that somebody else quite literally paid for us to have. And it was at that moment when I walked out of there thinking, damn, there's more to it than just having an agency. Like I have a skill set that people want. And it stuck with me. Okay, so so that's the first part. I said there's a two-part answer. That was a really big moment. The other moment was was Naval's Twitter thread. And my buddy, Jack Butcher, he actually lives in Nashville too. And a lot of the work that, that he was talking about, and I listened to the How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky podcast a couple of times, and they talk about leverage, and they talk about leverage, right? And in that podcast, he said that labor is the least effective form of leverage. And I thought about that a lot. I remember, yeah, okay, but even all these one-person entrepreneurs that build these like YouTube channels and have like massive companies or whatever, like eventually they all get to the point where they can't do it all and they need people. I was like, so you can say that labor is the least effective form of leverage, but it's also the most important form of leverage because eventually every company is going to inevitably get to the point where if they want to continue growing, they have to hire people. There's just no way around it. And so I was really just thinking about that a lot. And I thought to myself, I actually think that people and systems and like cohesive teams are the most valuable form of because everything will cap out no matter how many followers you get. Everything will cap out until you add another group of people with different skill sets because eventually someone's got to manage the invoices. Someone's got to do the accounting doesn't matter how many YouTube followers I get, I am never going to do accounting. It's just not going to happen. And so I was just playing with this idea a lot, thinking to myself, like, you know what? I don't think Naval's right. I think he's actually totally wrong. And I think all these fancy buzzwords about like, you know, leverage and scalability is really cool. But I think ultimately when the rubber meets the road, the same thing happens. Everything is going to break when you find a skill set that you don't have a qualified person to actually do. And so I, I just started thinking about my company in that way. I started thinking about my company in terms of 
what are the skills that I can put in my back pocket where even if I don't have it, if somebody says, can you do this for me? I can say yes and just know that I have this leverage tool that I can doink, apply into it. And because of that, you know, opportunity finds you. So yeah, and I know I talked for a while. I was trying to say like a lot at once without going too fast, but that's how it all came to place in my head. Well, just so you know, I was writing down some of the clips because we're trying to do shorts. I was like, man, Tim's on fire right now. So we got two out of that. So that's a nice <laughs> aside. But nice. To two call outs there that I think that one I love. First, the advice on negotiating, especially when you have the upper hand and when you can actually walk away from a deal because you can do it yourself then you can be very offensive minded and make sure it's advantageous for you. And I love it where they can kind of fund this company that you would own. Another thought that really resonated is I too am obsessed with the idea of leverage. I've read Naval's book that Eric Jorgensen did and it's phenomenal, but it's interesting to hear your spin on it because I think about that a lot. I literally have a post-it note here that's like only focus on leverage, which is either investing, managing, it's around tools or content. And they do say people is at the bottom of it, but to your, I agree with you. That's shots fired when you go after Naval and try and say that he's wrong. So good for you for taking on that. But it's something that, especially in our business, when you combine those things, it can be huge. And for us, what we're trying to do on thing is, well, we've stood up two companies, but we have a framework where let's only compete where we would have an unfair advantage, where we have like leverage in these spaces. And with all of your portfolio companies, you see this thread of that, which leads to something you did that really took some cojones, but was very impressive. You acquired a company that had huge traffic, but was making zero dollars. And then you're like, I'm going to strap on dollars and a business model to this to make money. So I'm really interested to see like that thought process with Copyblogger and like the thought process leading up to it and how you've actually been able to land that plane and make money from it. Well, first off, anybody listening to this, don't do what I did. And I'm not very seriously. I would have done it again, but I only would have done it because of my personal history with Copyblogger and because of like my unique position for that company. Copyblogger changed my life, man. When I said before about not having like an education or anything, Copyblogger taught me everything I need to know. I discovered Brian Clark and he became like a hero of mine. He was doing everything that I wanted to do. And I would wait. So it's, when you see the parallels, you can't unsee it. You wouldn't necessarily think that like sobriety and copywriting are the same, but they're exactly the same because every single morning I would wake up and I would see what Copyblogger wrote. And then I would quite literally just took the whole entire idea and find a way to turn it into sobriety. And I just copied them. Like I copied everything that they did. Not word for word. Like I never plagiarized them. It was just the I. It was the way that they formulated their content, which taught me how to do it. And so in my head, Sober Nation was Copyblogger. And then they created Rainmaker FM, which was this podcast network. And so I created a site called SoberPodcasts.com. And I went and pitched all the people making recovery podcasts I could ever think. And I put them all on a network. And I tried to build like an advertising network and it failed, but that wasn't the point. Like now I know how to do a podcast network. And now, coincidentally enough, I actually own Rainmaker FM too. So sometimes I think about bringing that back up. I just, 
like I said, I can have anything I want, but I can't have everything I want, right? And then I was following Brian Clark and he was doing this website called Your Boulder where he was talking about local stuff. And so I lived in Boca at the time and I made a site called Boca Digest. And I'm not kidding. I copied everything that Brian was doing. I just transitioned it in a way that fit like my brand. Okay, so he was selling the company, basically. I met Brian randomly because I'm a huge Fight Club fan. The book Fight Club, like I said, I read a lot and that book had a big impact on me and Tyler Durden and just some of the lines. And I've had You Are Not Your Fucking Khakis as my bio in my Twitter and my Instagram forever. And I would always comment on Brian's stuff. And I guess eventually he just recognized my name. And then I was at the Fort Lauderdale airport and I went through security. I remember getting a DM from Brian Clark. And this is so funny because once you get to know Brian, it like makes sense. But the first thing Brian ever said to me is like a dummy. I had the wrong contraction in the, you are not your fucking khakis, like apostrophe RA. And the first thing he ever said to me is you spelled it wrong. You know, and this is my hero and I get a DM from him and I'm like, oh, is this real? And the first thing he does is like diss me, you know? And if you get to know Brian, that's actually really hysterical. But but that was how we met. And so I would just shoot him an email every once in a while. Like, what were you thinking here? You know, like, what about this? What about that? And then finally, through a strange sequence of events, somebody bought out Brian's other partners and this person lived in Nashville. And I got coffee with this guy a bunch of times and found out that there was like 15% of the company that was available. So I wrote a check and then all of a sudden I have 15% of Coffee Blogger and this is crazy. I can't believe it. Um, If for no other reason, I look back at it thinking there was like a completely emotional decision. I did it just to say that I could do it, a bucket list thing. And then, you know, this person wanted out. I I think that this person... Well, I think this person just wasn't into writing as much as I was. I really think that's it. Like he's a super successful guy and uh, I still talk to him almost daily, but it's just, he never had a content business before. And I was familiar with it because of sober nation. Like I understood what it meant to hit deadlines and create like a content schedule. And I just don't think he realized it. And so he asked me if I wanted to buy his whole entire stake. I thought about it a lot. And my 10 year anniversary of recovery was coming up. And I just, I reflected on my whole journey and I thought about how I could make money out of it. I thought about what I know how to do, which is lead gen. I know how to write emails. I know how to write funnels. So this is 10 years worth of experience that I built from reading Copyblogger, from trying and continuously screwing up, from learning how to build an agency, from falling on my face like over and over again. And yeah, I woke up one morning and I just said, I'm doing it. And I wrote the check. And the next day, I was the majority owner in the company that like quite literally changed my life the day after my 10 year anniversary of sobriety. And so, yeah, like that is one part of the story. And then the other part of the story is how the hell do I turn this into a business? But like I said, I was fortunate because I didn't need the money. And so I wasn't in a panic. I didn't have a huge weight on my shoulders. And there was two things I knew how to do really well. There was generate leads to agencies. Well, three. Generate leads, basically, close deals, and sell digital products. And the crazy thing about it is I actually didn't have to do any of those things for myself. There was a guy named Johnny Naster 
who was part of the Rainmaker platform, was like part like a copy blogger OG, another guy that I really looked up to. And he had a small boutique agency. So I just approached him. Said, hey man, what if I could like quadruple your business? You know, I got copy blogger, let's just create an agency. When I bought copy blogger, I also bought a domain as part of it called digitalcommerce.com. It was actually where they housed all the products, you know? And so I was like, let's take digital commerce and turn it into the copy blogger agency. You run it, you get the majority percentage. My only job is to generate leads for you. He said, fine. Okay. Now I got to switch the revenue. And sorry, so he's essentially doing like the SEO content marketing agency part of it and you're lead gen. Yeah. And then I talked to another person I know who's just really already has a super, super successful copywriting membership. And so I talked to this person. I was like, look, I do not want to manage a membership site. I did it for a little bit so we could get it off the ground. But same thing happened. We just formulated a partnership. I was definitely more involved with that one because like, I had to be there. And like, I still come in and teach some classes and stuff because I, you know, I don't want to put my face on it and then be like, ha sorry about that. I'm not actually there. And so I was definitely more involved with that. And I still am involved with that just so I can show my face and teach the things that I know how to do. But really... I bought this media asset and I made a partnership and I made a partnership and then we brought this whole thing together and it took a long time and it was scary and still is scary, really. But now it's only scary in the sense that I want to continue to be true. I know there's somebody out there that reads Copyblogger who was me 10 years ago when I'm looking at it, thinking to myself, can I really do this with my life? You know, can I actually make a living doing this? And so like now my thoughts are much more along the lines of being true to it and not letting myself down and just knowing that like the business will continue to scale. And it definitely has. They hit a million dollars in a year with the agency site. The membership site takes a little bit, but membership sites do that because it stacks on itself and it stacks on itself. So we're pretty close. And yeah, it's been a huge success, man. And I'm Again, another long story. I feel like you're pulling all of these like long meandering stories out of me today, but it was a hell of a road. And really, we're just getting started. Yeah, that's awesome. Two big call outs is one, finding the right partnerships to do these things because you can't do everything on your own. But when you get the yeah. right partners and you understand their kind of skill sets or superpowers, that's a huge unlock when we go down the path of leverage. The other thing that's interesting is you've been able to diversify revenue streams from the agency side to the membership side to having courses and templates, which th- that stuff definitely adds up. Um, no, man, that's really cool. There's so many things I want to get to, but I know we're running out of time. But uh, yeah, I man. Take as much as you need. Well, cool. Thank you. Well, one question I always like to ask is, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? I would say, well, it's not going to be what you think, or maybe it is. I'm not sure. But probably about once a week, I get Twitter DMs from people who have read my stuff on Cybernation and tell me that because of what they read from me, like they got sober and built their own company and like they couldn't have done it without me. It's like very jarring to get even to this day because I think I can be a little bit self-deprecating, you know? It's weird sometimes being on podcasts because a lot of times in my head, I don't think I know what I'm doing, right? And who knows, maybe I got picked on too much as a kid or got made fun of. And I still, a lot of times think, who am I to... Like I'm no one special. 
why would anybody listen to me, you know, and doubts and fears and stuff. And then every once in a while, probably like once a week, once every two weeks, I'll get a DM from somebody with that kind of thing. And it's very emotional because I should have died twice, really. Once in particular, one, one time in particular, I'm, I'm very lucky to be alive. But combine that with all the times, like just being an idiot and, you know, like getting into fights or driving stuff like that. Like I do not know how I got out of it unscathed. And so when I get messages like that from people who were in that same exact position, it makes me question whether there's some kind of bigger meaning to all of this, because sometimes it's easy to think that I'm just trying to grow my company, you know, but to me, it's more than that. Like writing and publishing my work online saved my life. There's no question about it. For the first year and a half that I was getting sober, like it's all I did. I was too scared to exist. You know, I was too scared to go out. I didn't know how to make friends. I didn't know how to talk to anybody. I had a a speech impediment growing up and I was always nervous to talk, you know, which is why I wrote so much. And, And I just, I know, to know that there's people out there that like have read some of my stuff and think I get it. This guy, Tim, I can relate to him. If he can do it, then I can do it. You know, that, it continues to be and like always will be a very emotional thing for me. Yeah, that's an amazing story, especially as you get into the weeds of your business or you're having a rough day. Things, those DMs really put it all into perspective too, which is really nice. Man, Tim, this is so good, man. Where can people go if they want to find more about you, the businesses that you do? Where's the best place to direct them? Yeah, but best place is my website. I'm at a position now where I'm, uh, everything's pretty automated, like really. And it's not to say that I don't continue to work hard every day, but through all of the years, my dream was always to have like my own blog and my own email list so that I could send out my own ideas with no business expectations attached to them. And, and I'm doing it. So the Friday panic will continue. And if you want to read it, go to timstods.com. And I hope you love it because I genuinely spend a lot of time on every single issue. And and you know what, man? I'm getting a ton of good vibes about it. I feel so good about it. So I'm like proud. It's a really good blog. Again, I was in preparation for this. I was going through it. I went down some rabbit holes and not to mention the amazing thumbnail images on a lot of them. They're pretty good, man. It's and I'm not sure if you're doing like shorts or video or anything, but it's yeah, that stuff could be really fun. It's something we're actually like experimenting with. But I was going through this, I sent it to my team. I was like, oh, I love the kind of tone and vibe you're going for. It's 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 well done. So no, that's fun. But dude, Tim, this was so much fun. I'm excited, hopefully, to chat more on all the trend stuff and whatnot. But thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with everything. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. GrowthIt serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. 
And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.